So, today, Torah and tea is for the portion of B'Shalach, as we usually do, but it happens to be a very, very special day. I say very, very, because two, two varies, because in the uh, Hasidic Chabad calendar, it's the 10th day of Shvat. Tonight is the 10th day of Shvat. Now, the 10th day of Shvat, two major things happened. First of all, it's the Yortzeit, the day of passing of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe of Yosef Yitzchak, and that was in 1950. And then, a year later, in 1951, on the Yud Shvat, the Rebbe formally became the Rebbe. Now, informally, I guess the Rebbe was uh, doing the work that needed to be done even uh, before accepting it formally, but it has a special significance that the Rebbe accepted the leadership on a year later and became our Rebbe. You know, in hindsight, it's 50-50. So we know really what it meant for the Jewish people, and we know what it meant for Chabad, the Rebbe becoming the Rebbe. Uh, we see today, you know, we see today all that the Rebbe has done, all that the Rebbe has accomplished, and we are sort of all beneficiaries from the Rebbe's vision, the Rebbe's inspiration, the Rebbe's blessings, the Rebbe's uh, encouragement. So, so much of the world has benefited from uh, the Rebbe and his holiness and his leadership and being who the Rebbe is. But at that point, uh, this was in 1951, the Rebbe was a, a uh, someone who was not known, very well known. The Rebbe was concealed. He was anonymous. I mean, nobody knew who the Rebbe was. Uh, sometimes I like to say, I heard that somebody says that Rebbe is, you know, they say that every generation has hidden tzaddikim. So one said that the Rebbe is a hidden tzaddik. So he says, what do you mean the Rebbe is a hidden tzaddik? Everybody knows the Rebbe is a tzaddik. Well, how could he be hidden? But they say that what you know about the Rebbe is so little who the Rebbe really is that he's considered to be a hidden tzaddik. There's so much more. What we know about the Rebbe is just a uh, small part of what the Rebbe is. So we, um, you know, we celebrate today Yud Shvat, the Rebbe's ascent, the Yorzeit. The Rebbe was the uh, direct uh, replacement, sort of, for the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. And, you know, the Rebbe had a unique role. You know, the Rebbe had a unique role. The previous Rebbe's main role was literal self-sacrifice. Because it was very, very difficult for people in Russia uh, and uh, the Soviet Union at the time to be observant uh, because the Bolsheviks, the, the rules, they were all against them. So the previous Rebbe was the one who stood out as a leader who fought off all the attempts to extinguish all Judaism, all connections to Torah, to mitzvahs, to Hashem, and all Jewish practices. So that was the previous Rebbe's uh, strength, that he stood up, and he didn't allow for the light of Judaism to be extinguished. 
So the Rebbe's, if you want to say, what was the previous Rebbe's hallmark? What was his main attribute? Was Mesirat Nefesh, uh, self-sacrifice. But the Rebbe, we're talking about today is the 10th of Shvat. It's the anniversary of the Rebbe's ascending and becoming the Chabad Rebbe in 1951 and following the passing of the previous Rebbe. But in uh, the Rebbe had a different challenge. The Rebbe's challenge was, it started with the previous Rebbe moving to America. It was very, very difficult to bring concepts of Judaism in its purity to America. And meaning that while all the other Rebbe's had to mainly deal with their inner circle or with the Hasidim, where the people that listened to the Rebbe, but the Rebbe needed to uh, bring Yiddishkeit to just the masses. And, um, you know, difficult is when there is apathy, when there is indifference. In other words, if people... Um, even object to what you have, what to say. So there is objection. You can sort of argue, you can fight against objection. But when there is apathy and people don't care, you know, I like to say the joke about, they asked him, what's the difference between indifference and apathy? He says, I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> so, But the idea was the American... Uh, philosophy and uh, style was everything, and it still is to a certain extent. It's all about money. Everything that is sort of the most important thing in life is money, power, making a good time, living a good time, and Hashem. So there's nothing wrong with making money and having a good life, Hashem, but that can be the main. The main thing is a Jew is the connection to Hashem, is knowing that we are a special people, knowing that we have a special mission, that we have, uh, we're unique, and Hashem has entrusted us with bringing godliness into this world. So the Rebbe had to fight this ideas, and to be able to bring in the conscience of people. So first of all, we had to reach a whole different element than the previous Rebbe's. We had to reach people. Now, also remember that the Rebbe was trained a little bit different than all the other Rebbe's. All the Rebbe's before the Rebbe, they were all from the Hasidic dynasty, starting with the Alter Rebbe, and then his son, the Mittler Rebbe, the grandson, the Tzemach Tzedek, he was a son-in-law, but still he grew up in the court of the Alta Rebbe. Uh, none of these Rebbe's, and then the Marash, Rashab, and the previous Rebbe, uh, Tzemach Tzedek, all, none of these people had a general education. Nobody went to uh, university, nobody went to uh, uh, general studies, nobody was uh, sort of educated in that. You know, just to bring the example, it's like, Yosef at Sadiq versus his brothers. 
And we call him Yosef the Tzaddik for that specific reason. Why is Yosef called the Tzaddik? Because Yosef had a job that he was in Egypt. He was running the government. And it's a different story if you're sitting in the shul, if you're sitting in the study hall, and you're studying, and you're connecting to Hashem, you're loving Hashem, you're fearing Hashem, you're doing all the mitzvahs, and you're acting kindly, everything. That's when you're in the uh, little shtetl, you're isolated, you live in Goshen, you live next to Jacob, you're living with all the holy people. Over there, you know, it's easy. But when you have to uh, go out and become second, and Hashem sent them there because the brother sold him and the divine led him to become the viceroy, the second in command in Egypt. So he had a whole different job and he had a whole different task. He had to deal with the governments and with the all the uh, matters, uh, the food, providing for all of Egypt, the planning. You know, today we know one of the big things is the distribution. You know, here we're saying, you know, there's 250 million tests or 50 million tests, but where are they? <laughs> we need distribution. You know, that's you have to be able not to just have them in some sort of a, a room or in some storage place. We need to get it to the people. Yosef had to get the food to the people. He... He had in each city, he set up a distribution centers and how to feed. That took a whole lot of involvement in, 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 in getting to know and know how. And that's why we call him Yosef HaTzadik. Because to be a Tzadik in your own uh, community, in your own neighborhood, in your own uh, house, in your own comfort zone, that's one level of a Tzadik. But to be a real tzaddik is you have to be able to go out into the world, out there, and yet keep the message as pure and as holy as it was. You know, I want to talk a little bit about that because one of the things is the purity and the holiness is very important in our lives, which means, yes, we can do mitzvahs. Yes, we can study Torah. But sometimes we don't have the purity. We don't have the holiness. The Torah that we study is not holy. It doesn't... It's always holy because it's Hashem's Torah, but we don't really approach it with the proper uh, respect and the reverence and the realization that this is Hashem's Torah. And when we do a mitzvah, maybe we just do it. We don't have the feeling of the purity that to do it L'Shem Shemayim for Hashem's sake, to do it with kavana, to do it with proper intent. It's a whole nother level. It's a whole nother level. You can do things just to do it, and you can do things with the proper, which is proper meanings, which is essentially, what did the Baal Shem Tov teach for Hasidus? 
the whole idea of the Baal Shem Tov is enthusiasm, is excitement, is to have the Torah we study and the mitzvahs we perform, to have it done with love of Hashem, with excitement, with doing things in the right way. You know, we shouldn't remain apathetic. We need to be able to sort of change ourselves a little bit to make us better purify us, make us holier and refined and nicer people, greater people and holier people. That's a little bit of a challenge, more of a challenge than doing the thing. Now, most of the Rebbes in the previous generations, besides the Rebbe, they mostly helped their Hasidim and the people that were their followers they helped them daven better, they helped them learn better, they helped them uh, connect to Hashem better. They brought them on a spiritual level, they made them holier, they made them more pure. They elevated them to a higher level, to a greater level. But the Rebbe had an additional task, just to find the lost souls out there, just to find sparks of holiness, of godliness, outside in the furthest corners of the world, in Mitzrayim, you know, where Yosef was, in Mitzrayim, in Egypt. And and the Rebbe, through his shluchim and himself and through everything at the Rebbe's disposal that the Rebbe had, the Rebbe used everything to try to bring people into Yiddishkeit and to the teaching of Hasidus. But... The amazing and unbelievable thing is that it did not distract the Rebbe from also teaching his Hasidim and the people that followed him to serve Hashem with love and fear. Sometimes, you know, you have people that get so involved in, 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 in saving the world that they forget about their own family, you know, they forget about their own community. You know, we're just so busy and just doing everything for everybody else. The Rebbe, at the same time that the Rebbe reached out to the masses and to the furthest corners of the world, both physically and also on the level of quality into the lowest dungeons of uh, an impurity in the lowest levels, the Rebbe reached out. But yet, the Rebbe taught and led the way with the greatest and ultimate holy, being holy and being pure. And it, it, it is a dangerous because when you get so involved in, 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 in trying to do so much good for everybody, we sort of lower the bar. We sort of lower the bar for ourselves, you know, Sometimes we want to get to places so it's hard to work so hard. So we allow ourselves sort of a little less, not as strong. And we say, okay, the Rebbe did on both ends. While the Rebbe reached out to the furthest corners, the Rebbe expected and demanded and helped his Hasidim and his followers to reach the highest of level. You know, today, we've learned, you know, a lot of times, certain things you learn. 
you know, if you can't pass a test, it's too hard. So what is it? They lower the bar. So they say, okay, we want everybody to to be able to do it. So what? In the olden days, if you wanted to do something, you had to know. You had to pass the test in order to get a license, in order to practice, in order to get a job. You had to finish. You had to graduate. You had to pass. And how did you pass? You had to work hard. If you worked hard, you you passed. So, but now we're coming up with all kinds of ways to circumvent that we don't really have to. So, some people just cheat. You know, they just, you know, they don't follow the rules. They cheat their way through. Okay, that's extreme. But the system now has become such that we are going to lower the bar and we're going to say, okay, you don't have to... Uh, do this and this and this in order to uh, qualify, we lower the bar. Instead of having to get 100, you can get a 60. We're lowering, and we also lower the bars for ourselves in our service to Hashem a lot of times. We forget. We lower the bars for ourselves. We say, okay, you know, it's good enough. We don't have to do more. It's good enough. But the Rebbe, while the Rebbe reached out to everybody, the Rebbe expected from us, he taught and he demanded. He demanded purity of heart. He remembers, he he valued sincerity. He valued honesty. He valued self-introspection. He valued the service, which was what Chabad is really built upon. So while the Rebbe added so much more, and it's almost mind-boggling, again, for somebody who had a formal education, who succeeded in, you know, I told the story, it's in the book uh, that we uh, reviewed once uh, from... Um, 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 no, the Rabbi Gutnik's Chumash over there, the... Uh, um, what's the name of the rabbi? The, um, I can't hear you. Okay, she's cut off. You're on mute, Chayana. Okay. Rabbi Chaim Miller. Rabbi Chaim Miller. Okay, so Rabbi Miller, I think we reviewed his book. But, you know, the Rebbe never, ever showed off. The Rebbe didn't need to show off. <laughs> you know, sometimes you have a, a rabbi comes in and he says, Oh, you know, on this page in the Talmud, on page this, this, you know, line 15, it says so-and-so. <laughs> Trying to impress you. You know, oh, they remember exactly the page number. They remember the line number. Oh, they're so brilliant. You know, the people that need to impress you like that are people that uh, probably uh, have just looked up that line number on that page number. I shouldn't say, but... Rebbe never impressed anybody. He didn't have to impress. The Rebbe never threw out, uh, you know, never said anything to that extent. You know, the Rebbe was pure, holy essence. I mean, it, it, we, we don't even have to reject this kind of, because the Rebbe is on another plane of level. But there was one time when the Rebbe had to get into the university, he needed some formal papers for him to be accepted. In universities now, the Rebbe uh, 
Gatzmicha, the Rebbe was a scholar, he was a scholar beyond scholars, but that's not good enough uh, to get into university. University, you need a piece of paper. You need uh, uh, some kind of a certification to show that you have graduated or you completed something. You got to show it. So what are you going to do? So the Rebbe went, into, he, the Rebbe went to first to Berlin. At that time, it wasn't yet uh, before the Nazi Germany, Yimach Shimon, before they came to power. And the Rebbe went to this Sorbonne in, uh, uh, in, in, in Berlin. So, uh, no, no, in, yeah, so uh, I'm sorry, no, 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 I made a mistake, yeah. That was later on. But in the beginning, he went to, uh, to Germany, to the University of Berlin, I think it was. But, so he went to the University of Berlin, and he needed the papers. So he went, there was a, uh, a Jewish theological seminary over there, was headed, there was an Orthodox uh, uh, yeshiva, a big yeshiva, and he went to the rabbi there. He says, look, I got to go in. My father-in-law, I mean, you know, sent me, wants me to get this education. I want you to give me uh, certification, smicha, official ordination, that I'm a rabbi, and I can bring those papers to the university. And the Rebbe says, you know, I know you're Rabbi Schneerson's son-in-law, the, the big chief rabbi, but uh, if you want to get smicha, you got to go through the program. It was a, a three-year program. You got to go, you got to go through the program in order to get uh, smicha. But the Rebbe says, I need smicha right away. And um, I got to get into uh, college. I got to get to university. So I need the smicha right away. And the Rebbe says, but the Rebbe has never done before. The Rebbe is all of 26 years old at the time. And the Rebbe said to him, he says, I'll, I'll make you a challenge, he says. You give me any book that you pick, you, 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 you pick of the bookcase, the Rebbe says. Any scholarly, any learner book, anything you choose. Give it to me overnight and I will come back. The Rebbe never bragged ever, never said, never showed what he can do, but this was... An emergency. The Rebbe said, you give me any book, I'll come back the next day with notes, with a review, with challenges of the whole thing. The guy said, if you do that, you get smicha, you get smicha tomorrow. So, so the Rebbe, so he went and he gave the Rebbe his own response, 52 pages a difficult, complicated, and a, a masterpiece of a responsa that he responded to. So he says, Rebbe, here, go ahead, get to work. Let's see what you can do. <laughs> and we have today the Rebbe's review, that there's a public, the Rishimas of the Rebbe, we have today what the Rebbe has actually done. He came back the next day, and showed him all the weak points and the difficulties. And the guy was, of course, he was blown away. And he gave the Rebbe smicha right on the spot. Ordained the Rebbe, made him a Rebbe. And the Rebbe was able to use that documentation to become, uh, to get him to enroll in the university. And that was the exception. But 
the Rebbe never showed what he could. He didn't need to show what he could. But phenomenal photographic memory, insight beyond. But how does this go together? That's the thing that I find hard to do. How does this go together with the refinement, with the message, with the demand, and with the holiness and purity and the righteousness of the Rebbe and what he demanded from his Hasidim? In other words, the Rebbe was never too busy and he was never distracted because I'm busy with all the other things. And the Rebbe expected from us too. He expected, don't excuse yourself. I'm too busy because I have to do this, I have to do that. I'm working, I'm helping the world, I'm changing everything. It's very easy. You know, people today, you know, we impress. Other people are impressed with us. Oh, wow. Such an accomplished, you know, wow, wow, wow. Whether we're really that accomplished, who knows? You know, it's just, my father used to say, may he rest in peace. His yard site is coming up. Uh, next month. So, uh, matter of fact, it's less than a month now for his yard site, for the seventh day of Ador. So, uh, he used to say, he used to have an expression. He said that, you know, I don't really have to study. Why? He said, because I already know it all. <laughs> and, but then he said, wait a minute. He said, and I don't really need to know it all because everybody thinks I know it all. So I don't study, and I don't know it, but just, you know, it's just, everybody is impressed with me. Everybody thinks that, you know, so what do I need to know? So, I mean, unfortunately, we've learned, people have learned how to get, you know, I know, I'm sure you've heard this terrible, terrible uh, story. There was a so-called, I don't know if you can call him a rabbi, his name is Rabbi Chaim Walder, he called himself a rabbi, and he did terrible, terrible things, abused children, abused women, abused, you know, he was a very, very powerful, a well, well respected, beyond respected person. He was like heads of organizations, and it turns out that he was a, piece of trash, word in the trash, and things that he has done. And it wasn't like somebody failed like at a certain level. But that was a whole life long history, terrible, terrible history of things that he has done and people that he has hurt. And he's written the most beautiful books, every Jewish home, every library, Every congregation, everybody, his books, or next to the Bible. I mean, you know, it was, it was like, and people were really believed in him. What does this show you? It shows you that people can pretend to be what they're not. They can put up a show. They can put up a face. And there's so many people out there. We can't trust anybody. It doesn't matter what, how good they act, you know. They can be actors, beyond actors, but they may not be genuine. They may not be real. They may not be truthful. Now, I'm not saying that people 
are abusing other people and they're doing, uh, you know, such terrible, heinous crimes against children, women, and, and, and the people that trusted him. That's why he violated the trust. They came to him as a therapist, as a psychologist, as somebody to help them, and he took their trust. Now, again, I'm not here to condemn anyone here either. I mean, it's whatever it is, you know, that's it. But I'm just to say, so much of us, so many of us, excuse ourselves, excuse our behavior. We lack the purity. We learn Torah, we do mitzvahs, but we're not pure, we're not holy. We don't internalize, we don't become, we learn, it just doesn't, it doesn't fit in. We're just doing it like outside. And the Rebbe demanded, and the Rebbe expected that we should take what we learn and internalize. And these two aspects, that's what amazes me. While the Rebbe was so, so preoccupied in running the world and all the affairs of Chabad, we learned the letter, we read a letter from today from the Rebbe. And the Rebbe writes, if I don't answer you, the Rebbe says this because I have a line of answers that I got to answer in a line. And the Rebbe says, people have a practical question that needs my attention. And the Rebbe says, especially if it comes from people who are non-Chabad, I want to reach out to them, I want to show them, I want to bring them in, the Rebbe says. The Rebbe's time, the Rebbe was busy, but the Rebbe says, everybody needs to send all the letters over here. The Rebbe encouraged them. The Rebbe read the entire world. Can you imagine the CEO of a company, Lahavdal, seeing every email, every letter, every text, every WhatsApp, every uh, Tic Tac or every, I don't know, whatever, I'm trying to show off what I don't know. <laughs> On social media, every kind of, of, of thing. The Rebbe wanted every piece of thing to pass through. The Rebbe says, all of Chabad is together. The information that comes here, we are in it together. It helps one to the other. So everybody, so the Rebbe's life was busy with running. Can you imagine how many letters the Rebbe had to read? And how many letters the Rebbe had to answer? How many correspondence? How many meetings? How many phone calls? Rebbe usually did not speak on the phone. He was get on the line sometimes to hear, but it wasn't a formal thing for the Rebbe to speak on the phone. But these were all the Rebbe's time occupied, but yet, they didn't stop the Rebbe from teaching the most deepest insights of Torah, the deepest insight of Torah and Yiddishkeit, on the highest of levels, that we have unprecedented, haven't seen that in history. You know, the Rebbe, as a 20-year-old, used to correspond with Rabbi Rosen, the genius of Ragachov. Even in those generations, in the previous generations, when there were many geniuses and there were many scholars that were outstanding, amongst them Rabbi Rosen was the scholar of the scholars. His knowledge of Torah and his ability to 
encompass all of it in an instant. Like the other rabbi, the competing rabbi, he was the Hasidic rabbi in the city of Davinsk, the Rameir Simcha Akoyin, he says, the Ragachover has a bad memory, he says. He didn't mean it derogatory. He says, he reviews the Talmud all day, every day. He doesn't have to remember. <laughs> he's always, always, it's always on his mind. He doesn't need a good memory to remember because he's always there. So, the Rebbe never failed while he was busy running the world and helping Yidin and doing physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually. Every level the Rebbe was there. The Rebbe did not stop from teaching the most deepest parts in the revealed part of Torah. Halacha, Gemara, Medrash, all the standard stuff that everybody learns. But no, not only that. All the esoteric, the Zohar, the Kabbalah, the Kisva Rizal, and all the hidden secrets of the Torah. The Rebbe was there in every aspect, in every part of it. The Rebbe didn't stop teaching and encouraging for everybody to learn constantly. And at the same time, the Rebbe continued to demand that we need to perfect our emotional state. We should not just do mitzvahs, but we should have the mitzvahs impact us, that the mitzvahs we do should change us, to make us a little bit better, to make us refine us, to make us a little holier, to give us a little bit of spirituality, of godliness. Don't just do mitzvahs mundanely, do mitzvahs with feeling, do it with excitement. Let the mitzvah open up your heart, let it change you around. And the Rebbe did that. How does one Rebbe cover all this from the furthest person away from Yiddishkeit to the greatest genius and the Rebbe's insight into human condition, knowing and the Rebbe articulating when you read some of the Rebbe's letters, Rebbe's talks, Rebbe's writings, the Rebbe understood people like, like nobody else. And he knew all the difficulties and the challenges that we have. And the Rebbe addressed them and helped them try to do that. That's what the amazing thing amazes, amazes, amazes to see. How the Rebbe encompassed all that. And the Rebbe asked us to be better people. Don't just study Torah. Don't just have a feeling for it. Get excited about learning. Get excited about doing a mitzvah. And then the mitzvah will uplift you. They become the wings. They become the means of flying and helping you climb the ladder to holiness and purity. Okay, so that's for you, Chvat. I mean, I just... uh, I couldn't go by without saying, and I want to very briefly go through uh, a little bit of the Sichas for this week, which is in volume 16, and this is the uh, second Sicha of Bishalach. It's interesting that last year we did also volume 16, 
But in last week, we did only the first Sikha of B'Shalach, I forget what the other Sikha was. And this year, they're doing the second and the third Sikha in volume 16. So just very briefly, just to go over it. So over here we talk about after the Jewish people left Egypt and they are en route to Eretz Yisrael. Again, as we said before, Egypt is a place of oppression. That's a place where in the spiritual level we don't feel comfortable. We're in Mitzrayim. We are in a difficult situation. And we're going to the land of Canaan. We're going to Israel. We're going to freedom. We're going to freedom from the Yitzhahara. We're going to live in the Holy Land. Shortly after the Jewish people, people, how did the Jewish people sustain themselves throughout their journey in the desert? They had the special bread. The special bread was called what? The manna. They had the manna. What was that called? The lechem min hashamayim. You know the bracha they made for the man. Hamotzi lechem min hashamayim. Instead of hamotzi lechem min haaretz, because that's what we do, we get the bread from the aretz. They do it from the shamayim. Which, by the way, the mana, and the second sikha talks about it. I'm not going to have that much time to cover so much ground. I just want to make this point that, you know, the manna, as we'll see, Hashem tells them, every day you have to go and collect the manna. Hashem says you're not allowed to leave over from one day to the next day. A person says, whoa, you know what? Maybe tomorrow there's not going to be manna. You know, we got to put away for the future, we learn, our sages learn from the mana. It says like this, that a person has what to eat today. And he says, oh, but what am I going to eat tomorrow? He lacks faith. That was the month. The month said every day. You know, in other words, Hashem will give, will provide for you every day. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't put away in our regular life. That was for the mon. But the idea of trusting Hashem and not worry, that's what we learn from the mon. So in any way, but when the mon stopped, okay, so what happens? So the mon, I mean, uh, I, I take that back. They took along from Egypt, they took along bread that sustained them. It lasted for about a month. But the Pasik says, their bread was gone, so the Jewish people complained. And Moshe are in the, in the Midbar. So one of the problems is, the Jews had a legitimate question. What are we supposed to eat? That was legitimate. But the Pasuk says, they complained. And as you'll see later on, not only did they complain, but they incited everybody else. There's one thing to ask, and there's one thing to request. And there's a whole other thing when you're coming on to incite people, incite yourself. So they're all inciting a notion, Aaron. And they say to them, the Jewish people say, Oh, 
We should have better died in Egypt. We were sitting on the pot of meat. We had enough bread to eat for satisfaction. Why did you take us out into the desert to kill this entire community in hunger? There's nothing to eat. And Hashem says to Moshe, I will rain down bread from the heavens. Rain down, that's the mana, the lechem min And the people will go out and they will collect every day in his day, the portion, and I will test him whether he's going to follow the rules that I put into place. As we know, the Torah uses a language over here, I will rain them the bread from the heavens. What's the difference between the bread that comes from the heavens and the bread that comes from the earth? The bread that comes from the earth involves the labor of the person. You have to plow the field, you have to sow, you have to water it, you have to, it's the rain, you know, there's a lot of work. A person can think, oh, my success is because I worked hard, because they have to invest. But when it rains down from Shemayim, you don't have to work for it. It's just given to you. You go, you get up in the morning, and it's there. The food is there. You haven't done a thing. You get out of bed, and you go and you collect the food, and it's right there for you. What do you see? You see, hey, you know what? This comes from Hashem. But yet we see there were differences. It says, the Gemara says, there's a different wording in the Psukim to the righteous people. It came actually like bread. Ready-made bread. All they got to do is, they didn't even have to bake it. To the average middle people who weren't tzaddikim, they, it was though they didn't have to knead it and everything else. It was ugois. It was already uh, braided for them, but they still had to bake it. And for the Rishoyim, whatever Rishoyim meant, the least level of the people, they had to actually go and collect, you know, the mono, like, piece by piece and bring it together. They got to go through. So, even though that it came from the Shamayim, was still a little bit of a difference. It also says, where exactly did the mana land, the Gemara says. It says, by the Tzadikim, it came like by the entrance. So there is literally, they opened the door, and the loaf of bread was there. You know, like in the olden days, he used to deliver the milk. He used to get the milk by the door, the milkman, you know, and Sharon, they still do it, I think. I'm not sure, I haven't seen them around. We used to have a neighbor who used to get the milk. I used to see the truck. I don't see it. I don't know if they don't order or they don't do it anymore. But guess, guess what? You get your bread at your doorsteps, ready-made, baked and everything else. Not only that, you can have it taste whatever you like. You, like. you want it to taste like a, a sweet uh, mantle bread or you want it to taste like a, 
a chocolate uh, seven-layer cake or whatever it is. You have, yeah, go ahead, Chayana. You have a special taste. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. In the Torah, it actually says they think it's tasted, it says in the Torah that it tasted like coriander seed and it was white and it was like fried in honey. Yeah, the taste was like fried in honey. And uh, you probably know it. But that was before, that was the original, the the main taste. But then you could uh, sort of uh, get any taste in it. Uh, the people, if they were tzaddikim, I guess, yeah. Well, because it's mentioned in the Torah, I was wondering, does anybody ever do any kind of tradition to to kind of mock the man on a, on this parsha? You know, make it look... <laughs> You know, do something. I don't know. The closest, the closest thing I know, we used to fill the uh, uh, the hamantasha with mud, with poppy seeds. Uh, that was, the, you know, today they don't. You can't probably even get those poppy seeds. I mean, you got to go to a special bakery today. They fill it with jelly, with the jam, with other kinds of stuff. Right, right. But we used to call it mud. The poppy seeds. They used to call that the mud. That's what. You, that's what we used to call that. I don't know. No, but I, no, I hear you. I don't know. I'm sure there is something. There's some tradition somewhere. But, but anyways, but this tells us, I'm going to move on, but this tells us about trusting of Hashem and realizing even when things come through effort, it's not the effort that does it. We always, we would have a much deeper appreciation if we can for Hashem and for sharing if we realize that whatever we have is thanks to the help of Hashem if we realize that even when we work at something it's not because of the work like the verse says you'll say ah I'm so smart, I'm so strong, I'm so capable, I'm so able. You know, I hear all these people all the time that they keep on thinking of themselves that larger in life, you know, and they're so arrogant because they think, you know, it's me and it's I and, you know, I'm so able, I do it and I work hard and, you know, and you are lazy, and that's why you're not successful like me. And blah, 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 blah. they keep on talking about themselves, you know, like they say, My power, my strength gave me this fortune. And the Pasuk says, And you forget, as Hashem Alekechi, forgetting God, you got. He is the one that gives you the strength. It's not your strength, it's not your own. He gives you the strength. Whose strength is this? Yeah? No, I'm just thinking how from the very beginning when you were talking about Yosef the Tzaddik, I mean, he had so much. He, you know what I mean? He was like second to Pharaoh. Yeah. And he was the Tzaddik because he was humble because he knew moment for moment it all came from Hashem. Absolutely. You know, he never, he I want to, you know what, you wrote it up there. I want to conclude with that point and I'm going to make it shorter. I don't know what time do we have now. Uh, it's like seven minutes of... Okay, I got to go get to the get rid of the show. I just want to finish with that thought that Chayana brought up. You know, together with everything that the Rebbe had and did and everything else, 
all of his treasures and that Rebbe was his knowledge, his righteousness, his holiness, his purity, his leadership, everything, everything. And yet, the Rebbe lived a very physical, modest, beyond modest life. You know, we weren't privy to really see how the Rebbe lives. You know, Rebbe would dress simply, very, a fedora hat, a very simple hat, dressed, you know, neat, clean, but very simple. But we never really knew what the Rebbe's house looks like until the Rebbetzin, when she passed away, the Rebbe sat Shiva in his home. And then the community was allowed into the Rebbe's house. I cannot describe the simplicity of the Rebbe's house. No big furnishings, no fancy floors, no oven, no, uh, what do they call them, the silver refrigerator side by side, nothing of that sort. No sub-freezing, sub-freezers, and no, none of that stuff. The Rebbe had everything he wanted. It wasn't lacking. Rebbe never went on vacations, never utilized. It's said about Rebbe Yehuda Hanasi, Rebbe Yehuda the Prince. They say that from the days of Moshe Rabbeinu, there was never a, another person who had both Torah, study, and greatness, like Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, like the Prince Rabbi Yehuda. He had it all. But when he passed away, he raised his ten fingers. He says, I didn't benefit even with a small pinky. I didn't benefit from all of the greatness, from all of the money, from all of the power, from all of the abilities. I didn't even enjoy with one pinky. Not forget about more than a pinky. The Rebbe, who am I to say, but from Rebbe to our Rebbe, from Rabbi Yudanossi, the author of the Mishnah, to our Rebbe, there was Torah Gdullah B'Makom Echad. The Rebbe had Hasidim who were multi-multi-millionaires. They can provide for the Rebbe whatever he wanted. Like you see some of the Rebbe's, they fly in private jets, and they have these, uh, you know, homes made out of gold and uh, crystal, whatever. Rebbe didn't do any of that. It was modest. Rebbe raises ten fingers. He says, Rebbe didn't benefit. And it's not, the world didn't mean anything. There was nothing to really benefit. But today's Yud Shvat, and it's an awesome privilege to learn together, to be together, to remember the Rebbe, and to be inspired, because, you know, as I speak, I get inspired myself, and I hope that we will stick to the Rebbe's lesson and message, and try to do good in our homes, in our communities, in our reach, wherever we are, just do good in all aspects, kindness, mitzvahs, good deeds, whatever we can do, just make a positive difference in the world, and Mashiach will come and take us out of Golos and bring us Mashiach to Canaan.